All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 12. And if you remember from last week when we were in chapter 11, we dealt in the previous chapter with David's grave sin where he committed adultery and not only committed adultery, but also had Uriah the Hittite uh, put to death. He committed murder. And we talked about that last week. And one of the things that we noticed last week is that as we were going through the chapter and as we were making applications, God was not really mentioned. In fact, it wasn't until the uh, very last, uh, uh, very last uh, verse of that chapter and the last statement of the verse where it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now, in chapter 12, we're basically going to see the aftermath of David's sin. And we're going to see how God deals with David in regards to this sin. And I want to give you just several points tonight. I want to give you four points tonight, four things that we can learn from this chapter. If you're able to take notes, I encourage you to write these down if you don't have a child on your lap or something like that. But point number one tonight is this. I'd like you to notice the rebuked sinner. And here's what you need to understand. Sin must be confronted. And it's always the will of God, and it's always the ministry of the man of God to confront sin. As we look at this idea of David being rebuked, the sinner being rebuked, I want you to notice in verse 1, we see a very pointed preacher. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David. Nathan was a prophet, and God sends Nathan to David, and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city. He proceeds to give him a parable. He's giving him an illustration, and he's trying to help David understand something. He says there was two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. Now, uh, in, in, we already read the chapter in this context, but uh, just so you understand, in this parable, you've got two men. The rich man represents David. And the poor man represents Uriah the Hittite. Now, David doesn't know that yet, but that's what Nathan is getting at. Look at verse 2. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. The flocks and the herds represent wives. And if you remember, David had multiple wives. And he had more wives than he should have had. And he didn't have very good relationship with any of them, but he had many wives. Look at verse 3. But the poor man, that's Uriah, had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did, eat, it did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Now, he's giving this picture of this guy has a lamb, but this is like a family pet. I mean, it's like you have animals, dogs, or cats that you are very close to in your own family, and you treat them like part of the family, and that's the illustration that Nathan is giving here. Now, what he's saying is this. Uriah had one wife, and he loved that wife. He had a good relationship with that wife. He would do anything for her, while David had multiple wives that he didn't have a good relationship with. Look at verse 4. And there came a traveler unto the rich man. You said, who, who's, this, who's this traveler represent? Why? Well, I, I think the traveler represents uh, David's lust. There comes a man that has a desire to fulfill an appetite. Notice, there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he, the rich man, spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd. He had the means, he had the flocks, he had the herds, he had the wives to be able to fulfill the appetite. And it says that he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Now, uh, 
Nathan gives the story, and, and, and we're going to read here the reaction of David, and we're going to come back to the reaction here in a minute. Notice how David reacts, verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. David thinks this is a real story. It's a true, he thinks it's a true story. Nathan's coming and telling him about something that actually happened. Now, it is a true story. This did actually happen. But he thinks someone actually took a poor man's lamb, a rich man took a poor man's lamb to feed a traveler. And here's how he reacts. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now I want you to notice, and I want, I want you to understand, okay, because we're talking about this pointed preacher. He's a very direct preacher. And here's what you need to understand. Preaching, biblical Bible preaching, it's not enough to expound upon Theory. It's not enough to teach a nice illustration or to go through a, a parable. I, I have a group of guys that I uh, meet with every several weeks, and I'm kind of training them for things in the ministry. And as we go through the lessons on preaching, I tell them, your preaching needs to be heavy on application. Something we try to do at Verity Baptist Church a lot is we basically go through some verses, we give you the interpretation, we give you the explanation, and then we make an application. I try. There's very rare that the sermon goes by that we're not applying the word of God to your life. And we're saying, here's what the Bible says, here's what it means, and here's what you ought to do about it. Nathan was this type of preacher. He came and he gave a story. He came and he gave the scripture. He came and he gave the illustration. But now we see the application. And notice it's very direct. Look at verse 7. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. Now look, David could have got up and said, Nathan, I think you preached that sermon, not me. And Nathan would have said, yes, I did. And today, you know, it's interesting. And uh, go with me. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's the text for tonight. But go with me to Isaiah 58. If you can find the book of Psalms in the Bible, you're going to go past Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and the book of Isaiah. Today, we have been uh, brought up. There is a, 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 a movement in Christianity today where basically they are taught that the purpose of preaching the Word of God is basically to make you feel good. That the purpose of preaching is to bring a positive message. That, you know, the Joel Osteens of this world has base, have basically turned the position of a pastor and the position of a preacher into just some sort of like a, a motivational speaker where my job is to make you feel good and make you feel better and you, for you to leave encouraged. Now listen to me, sometimes you come to church and you do feel good and sometimes you come to church and you do feel better and sometimes you come to church and, and I'm glad whenever I can encourage you and help you. But you need to understand that my job as a preacher is to help you get the sin out of your life. Nathan shows up for with one idea, with one thought in mind, and that was to not bring a nice illustration to David, but then to apply that message to David and say, David, you're the man, you're the guy with the sin problem, you're the guy with the issue, and you're the one that needs to get right with God. Are you there in Isaiah 58? Look at verse number one. I want you to understand what scriptural preaching is all about. Isaiah 58, and look at verse number one. The Bible says this, cry aloud. Cry aloud means to shout, to be loud. Some people complain and say, the preaching's too loud there. That, it's loud because God tells us to be loud. People say, why, why do you yell? Because God tells us to 
Cry aloud. Spare not. Why don't we skip anything? Why don't we, you know, just pass over things? And why don't we, you know, just uh, ignore the parts of Scripture that are not popular today? Because God said to spare not. He said, cry aloud. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. A trumpet is a loud instrument. He said, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. He says, notice, notice what he says. Here's the application. And show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sin. See, the job, see, people come to church and say, well, I just don't understand why every time I come to church, I feel like pastors just aiming at me, talking about me, getting on me, always talking about something I'm doing. But listen, why else would you come to church? That's the whole point. The whole reason we're here is to take the word of God and, and, and say, here's what the Bible says. Now let's apply it to your life. Thou art the man. And the, my job is to show the people their transgressions and the house of Israel their sin. See, the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for reproof. The Bible says for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. And we usually like the doctrine part. I mean, when, when, when we get up here and we preach this interesting sermon about end times prophecy and we show you all the things about the mark of the beast and about the David's, you know, the, the Dave, good night, Daniel's uh, seven, uh, the vision that he had and the, and the idols and all this, and, and we give you all that stuff, you're like, wow, that's amazing. We usually like the instruction part when we preach sermons about, hey, here's how the Bible teaches you how to deal with your finances and here's how the Bible teaches you how to deal with your marriage and here's how you how to raise your kid. And people like those types of sermons. But you know, the sermons they don't like the ones that are correcting but the bible says that my job is not just to reprove it's not just for doctrine it's for correction for instruction and righteousness here's why that the man of god that's you may be perfect may be mature thoroughly furnished unto all good works that's what the bible says so when you come to church and you say every time i show up i feel like pastor just hitting on me you ought to thank god you have a pastor that actually cares about you and would be having a boldness to say hey you're the man You're the one with the problem. You're the one with the issue. You're the one that needs to get right with God because that's the ministry of the preacher. Nathan shows up and his job was to be direct. His job was to be pointed. His job was to rebuke sinners. And you know what? Every once in a while, we need to be rebuked. And and, and David needed to be rebuked. So we see the rebuke of David. We see this pointed preacher. But I want you to notice, not only do we see a pointed preacher, if you can make your way back to 2 Samuel 12, I want you to notice... The attitude of a convicted conscience. We see David with a guilty conscience. Now, before the application is made, before Nathan says, thou art the man, I want you to notice how David responds. Look at verse 5. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Now that's interesting because all the man did in the story was steal. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever place a death penalty upon stealing. But we saw last week that God does put the the death penalty on adultery, which is a sin that that, that David just partook in. And it's interesting that he's the one that has performed a sin worthy of death Yet he's very quick to say, hey, I'm going to place that punishment upon someone else and I'm going to come down 
real hard on someone else that hasn't even deserved that. Notice what he says at the end of verse 5. He says, the man that had done this thing shall surely die. Look at verse 6. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Now that is a scriptural concept. The Bible does teach us that uh, those that would steal were supposed to return. And, and we're not going to turn there, but in Exodus 22.1, if you want to jot that down as a cross-reference, those that would steal were to return what they stole, what they stole in fourfold. And, but David said, this guy's going to die. He's going to restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And you know what? You know who's the one that had no pity? It was David. I want you to understand something, because it's human nature, and I'll show you where Jesus talks about this in Scripture. Go, go to the book of, uh, of Matthew. It uh, should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel 12. That's our text for tonight. We'll be going through that. But go to Matthew chapter 7. You know what the Bible is showing us here, illustrating about David, and Jesus teaches it in Matthew chapter 7, that it is often those who are living in sin that come down the hardest on others. Often the judgmental, critical, angry, fundamentalist type attitudes that we develop in our lives are really just a shield because we're trying to hide sin in our own lives. And David here is under a guilty conscience and knowing that he's worthy of death, knowing that he's the one that deserves to be punished, he gets angry at this man to the point where he even comes down harder than God himself would come down. And he says, this man will surely die because he had no pity and he'll restore fourfold, which he should have. But I want you to notice, because here's what's interesting, and we're going to talk about it later on in the sermon, but David ends up being forgiven by God and doesn't have to die, but he does restore fourfold. That's the punishment that's given to David. And it's interesting that that's the same punishment that David gave to this man in the story. I wonder if David would have said, hey, this guy's got has to restore twofold if that's what God would have said David had to restore. Or if David would have said, hey, this guy needs to just be, you know, let's go talk to him and if he repents and asks for forgiveness, let's just forgive him. Maybe God would have, would have allowed that to be David's punishment. You say, why do you say that? Are you there in Matthew chapter 7? Look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Judge not that you be not judged. Now it's not talking about the fact that we're not allowed to judge. There's many verses in the Bible that teach us and tell us that we ought to judge. Judge righteously is what the Bible says. But it says, judge not that ye be not judged when you're the one living in sin. Look at verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, David, ye shall be judged. And with what measures ye meet, David, it shall be measured to you again. How hard you want to come down on someone, David, is how hard God's going to come down on you. Look at verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thine brother's eye, David? Why are you looking at the guy in the story, David, who has a stealing problem and he has a mote in his eye, but considers not the beam that is in thine own eye, David? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. See, the problem is not casting out the moat out of your brother's eye. The problem is trying to cast out the moat out of your brother's eye while you've got a beam in your own eye. And he says, if you remove the beam, if you take care of the problem, then you can go and help your brother with the moat. But while you're dealing with a big beam of adultery, David, while you're dealing with a big beam of, a, of murder, David, maybe you ought not be casting judgment upon other people because with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Go, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We see the convicted conscience of David. 
a guilty conscience. Listen to me. Whenever you're coming down real hard on someone, and usually it's when it's not even your place of authority. You know, it's, it's not, it, it, you're just judging someone else's spouse or judging someone else's child or judging someone else's ministry. You ought you to gotta be careful and you ought to step back and say, is there, am, I, am I doing this because of hidden sin in my own heart, a guilty conscience that I'm dealing with? And this is where that reflection is coming from. Because here we see David very self-righteous while living in sin. But I want you to notice the despised deity. Look at, look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verse 8. Notice what God says. God says, you despise me. God says this. Look, look at 2 Samuel 12 verse 8. And I, now this is God speaking through Nathan. Notice he says, and I gave thee thy master's house. God, God is, and you're going to see by, by the next couple of verses here, that God's heart is broken. And you need to understand, our sin is not just a sin against men, it's a sin against God, and David acknowledges that. But our sin breaks the heart of God. God is not just up there, just away, and doesn't have emotions or feelings. Notice what God says to David in verse 8 through Nathan. He says, And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee, this is God speaking, the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been uh, too little, says, if that wasn't enough, he says, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. God says, David, I gave you everything. I gave you everything that you have. I would have given you more, but you were not satisfied with what, don't, don't miss this. He says, you were not satisfied with what God gave you, and you wanted to have something that wasn't yours to have. You weren't content, David. Remember that? Look at verse 9. Wherefore? Notice what God says. Has thou despised the commandment of the Lord? God said, you despise my word. God said, you despise my commandment. God said, you despise who I am to do evil in thy sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite. And people would say, well, well, he didn't kill him. He just had him put to death. But the Bible is teaching us here that conspiring to kill is the same as killing. See, today people say, well, I, you know, I, uh, if, if I have an abortion, I didn't commit the murder as a doctor. No, if you took part in that whole event happening, that's murder. Amen. If you, look, if you hire a hitman to kill your spouse, you, kill, you are a murderer by God's standards. And here, God says to, to, to David, he said, he said, thou despise the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife. And he says, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. He said, I know you didn't physically do it, David, but you conspired to do it. And it's placed on the shoulders of David. So here's the first thing we see in the passage. We see a rebuked sinner. And we see this, that sin has to be confronted. We cannot just allow sin to go unchecked. And the reason you come to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church is so that we can say, thus saith the Lord God, and we can say, you are the man, thou art the man, you've got the problem, you've got the sin in your life, and we can correct it. That's why we come to a church. And by the way, let me say this. The less and less you come to a church like this, the more you will live in sin. Amen. The reason you need, you say, why do I need to come to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night? Because you sin a lot. Because you do a lot of stupid things. Because you make a lot of bad decisions. 
and you need somebody to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord God, this is what you ought to be doing. This is how you ought to be doing it. These are the things you ought to be doing in your life. Get that out of your life. That's what we need. That's what we all need. So we see the rebuked sinner. But I want you to notice, secondly, we see a reaping sinner. See, not only must sin be confronted, but you need to understand this. Sin has consequences. We talked about it last week, but let's look at it even more this week. Look at verse 10, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. Now, therefore, he says, for this reason, because of your sin, David, he said, the sword shall never depart from thine house. He's literally talking about the fact that David's children are going to kill each other. And if you know the story of David, you know that's what ends up happening. Most of them end up killing each other, siblings. And God says, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. That's a reference to Absalom. We'll get to that in the text. Absalom is the son of David, who basically insurrects against him and and has a civil war against his own father and tries to take the kingdom from him. And he says, And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. David took Uriah's wife and committed adultery with her. Absalom will take David's wives and commit adultery with them, but he will do it. Notice the last part of verse 11. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the son. We'll get to it in in, in 2 Samuel, but he will literally have a physical relationship with these women up on a rooftop, the same rooftop that David walked around in to see Bathsheba bathing in, and and he'll do it in the sight of the entire nation as a way to humiliate David. Notice verse, um, uh, well, look at verse 11, I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this sun. He says, you did it in the dark, David, but it will be done in the sun. Notice verse 12. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. See, you need to understand that sin has consequences. Look at verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord hath also put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. We're going to talk about that verse here in a minute. But notice verse 14. Howbeit, because... By this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Notice what the Bible says. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. This baby that Bathsheba is pregnant with is going to die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And I'm not going to get a lot into the subject of of the child. I'm actually going to preach an entire sermon next Wednesday on the subject of babies and children who die and what happens to those children and where do they go when they die. So I'm not going to deal with it tonight, but I want to just say this. Sin hurts other people. You know what? David's wives did not do anything that deserved them being raped publicly, yet David's sin hurt his wives. And David's sin hurt his child here that dies and his other children that will die. And and, and you say, well, that's not fair. And and look, you you and I can say it's not fair all day long, but here's what it comes down to. We're not an island. We are not. It's not that our sin just hurts us. When we sin, it has effects and it often has effects on the next generation. And you better be careful before you make stupid decisions that will have reproductions to maybe your own children and your own family. 
and those that you love because sin does hurt. And here's what I want you to understand. Did you keep your place in Isaiah? I meant to tell you to keep your place there, and I don't think I did. Can, can you get back towards that part of the Bible? If you can find Isaiah again, I, I want you to be in Hosea, but if you can find Isaiah, you're going to go past Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea. We see that David is now reaping, and he's going to be reaping for the rest of the book in regards to his sin. But I want you to understand something about reaping. You always reap. We, we quote, and the Bible does teach us that you reap what you sow, but I want you to understand something. The Bible not only teaches that you reap what you sow, the Bible actually teaches that you always reap more than you sow. We talked about it last week. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. But in Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, I want you to notice what the Bible says about this principle about, of reaping and sowing. And I, Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, the Bible says this, for they have sown the wind, they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Do you see that? He says, look, you say, David said, well, all I did, all I did was, I mean, it was, if it, it was just like a breeze of wind, and what I sown was a lot more than that. I've sown the whirlwind. But here's what you need to understand. Whenever you plant a seed, the fruit that comes from that tree that grows is going to be much more. You sow the wind, I'm sorry, you sow the wind and you reap the whirlwind. You always, not only do you always reap what you sow, but you always reap more than you sow. David said, all I did was I, I committed adultery with this one lady, and, and that, that's all I did. But, but now all my wives are going to be taken advantage of. And he, and, and he said, all, all I did was, was, was do this, but now you know, I'm going to have to pay fourfold. And David does pay fourfold because four of his children end up dead before the book is over. You've got the baby that dies. You've got Amnon who dies. By, at, the end of, at the hand of Absalom. You've got Absalom who dies while warring against his own father. You've got uh, uh, another son that died. His name slips my mind right now. The, the one that tries to take the kingdom from Solomon. And, and David basically pays a lot for this one night. And you always reap more than you sow. So we see the rebuke sinner. We see the reaping sinner. And you got to understand that sin must be confronted and sin has consequences. But let me give you the third point tonight. We see the repentant sinner. In verse number 13 of 2 Samuel, we see something that's a little refreshing in this very serious story. In verse 13, the Bible says this, And David said unto Nathan, you got to underline this in your Bible, if you don't mind underlining in your Bible. you got to underline this phrase. It says, I have sinned against the Lord. You know what? David made a lot of mistakes. But you got to give him credit that when Nathan shows up and Nathan points his finger and Nathan says, thou art the man, David took that correction well. And, you know, the Bible tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. And I think one of the reasons that David is a man after God's own heart, because we see a very clear difference between David and Saul, and we're not going to take the time to run the verses. But remember when Samuel would come to Saul, and Samuel would correct Saul, and Samuel would say, Saul, why are you doing this? That's not right. That's not what God wants. And what would Saul do? Saul would shift the blame. Saul would say, it's not my fault. It's the people's fault, or it's Samuel's fault, or it's, uh, it's anyone's fault except me. And Saul was not willing to receive the correction, but David is not that man. See, David is a man after God's own heart. And after a pretty intense sermon, after a pretty direct sermon, after a pretty direct sermon that dealt with David's sin, his response was, I have sinned. 
He doesn't give an excuse. He doesn't say, well, you don't understand, Nathan. I was under a lot of pressure. You don't understand, Nathan. You, you know, if you would have been there, you, you would have seen it. And it was her fault. She shouldn't have been bathing there. And I, why was she there? And, and, and I've got all these things going on. No, no, no. David did none of that. David simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. And it was sincere because the, notice what, they, what Nathan says. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. And he's forgiven. Now, go to the book of Psalm, Psalm 51. And uh, I, want, I want you to no- notice what David says in Psalm 51. And do me a favor, when you get to Psalms, you're there in 2 Samuel, you're going to go past 1 Second Kings, 1 Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. When you get to Psalms, keep your place there. Put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it, okay? And we're going to actually go back and forth from Psalms quite a bit. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote when he was confronted by Nathan. In fact, I don't know if your Bible has... This header, but my Bible says right at the beginning of Psalm 51 in verse 1, it says to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is a Psalm that David wrote in response to this whole ordeal in his life. And I want you to notice when David repented of his sin, there were certain steps that he took. The first one was this, David confessed his sin. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And notice what he says in Psalm 51 and verse 1. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. I want you to notice, he's not saying, have mercy, O God, because I'm David. Because I'm the king, because I, you know, because I've got to lead these people, or because remember Goliath, you know, he's not talking about all the great things that he'd done or all the, his great position. He says, God, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. And notice he's acknowledging his sin. He says, Blot out my transgression. The word transgression means sin. Look at verse 2. Wash me thoroughly. See that word thoroughly? He said, I I want to be completely washed from mine iniquity. What's iniquity? Sin. Notice what he says. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. Do you see that? That's sin. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest to be clear, when thou judgest. And listen to me. Sometimes when we sin and God deals with that sin, you need to understand, as long as you are calling it a mistake, as long as you're calling it a slip-up, as long as you're calling it a sickness, oh, I'm just sick, that's why, I do those things. I'm just sick. That's why I take those drugs. I'm just sick. That's why I drink alcohol. As long as you're calling it a demon, that's a real uh, popular thing that's going on today. You know, all these Christians will say, well, it, I have the demon of adultery. That's why I did that. I have the demon. You know, I'm just in the bondage of this demon. Listen, as long as you're not willing to acknowledge and confess your sin, you will never get victory over it. The first step to, to getting victory over your sin is to looking at it plainly, not, not, not making an excuse, not trying to uh, uh, explain it away or say, well, this is what happened, or if you only understood this. David said, Nathan, you're right. I've sinned before the Lord. He said, I acknowledge my sin. It's ever before me. And you must confess your sin if you will ever get victory over it. See, David not only confessed his sin, David also humbled himself. Keep your place there in Psalm 51. We're going to come right back to it. But go, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
Look at verse 16. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted. And I don't know if you've ever fasted before, but it's not easy. Going for a time without food. But he didn't only fast, notice, and went in and lay all night upon the earth. He's not sleeping on the ground. He's praying. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. They're going to him and saying, David, you got, you got to eat. David, you, you need some rest. And he's saying, no, leave me alone. He, he's humbling himself. Look at verse 17. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 18. And it came to pass on the seventh day. He does this for seven days. For seven days, he lays on the earth, not sleeping, praying, crying out to God, fasting, try, trying to get right with God and pleading for his son. He humbles himself. See, this whole idea of, oh, man, I messed up again, and, oh, that's too bad, and I just go back with life as normal. You're not repentant of your sin when you're acting that way. You're not repenting of your sin when you're like, I just slipped up again. Oh, well, well, I'll try better next time. That's why people live in bondage the rest of their lives. They get the the sin that that so easily beset me, the sin that keeps tripping me up, the sin that keeps getting me. Why? Because there's no real repentance. There's no real heartache. There's no real humbling and humiliation before God. There's no confessing here. David gets down on on his face before God and fast and plead and ask God to forgive him for his sin. He confesses. He humbles himself. Go back to Psalm 51. Look at verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice. There's no sacrifice for what David did. There's death. That's the sacrifice. He says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. There's no burnt offering David can give for this. Notice what he says though in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. See, David humbled himself. He came to the place where he was broken. He came to the place like the prodigal son where he came to the end of himself. Where he's willing to admit that I don't have this figured out. I don't have this put together. I tried to deceive and I tried to lie and I tried the one plan and the other plan and the other plan. And it's just not working. I've come to the end. I'm broken. I'm confessing. I'm admitting. I'm humbling myself. I want you to notice David also dealt with the consequences. Keep your place there in Psalms. Go, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verse 19. But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David quit on God. Is that what the Bible says? Therefore David said, well, if God's going to just treat me this way, then I'm not going to serve him. Therefore David said unto the servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. And, if you, and we'll keep reading and we'll look at it here in a minute where he goes and he worships God. See, David suffered the consequences for his sins. You're there, you're there in the Psalms. Can you just go one book over to Proverbs, Proverbs 28? John 1.19 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins but to, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants to cleanse you. God wants to clean you. God wants to forgive you, but listen to me. God wants you to repent of your sins, and here's what you need to understand. This is not repentance. When I sin, and then I go back, and then I say, God, forgive me. God, I'm so sorry, and then I just do it again, and I sin. You know what's amazing to me? 
and, and it's something I've just had to learn to deal with as a pastor, is people will come to this church, they'll listen to preaching, they'll make decisions, they'll say like, I'm going to quit smoking, and then three months later they're smoking again. I'm going to quit fornicating. And then they move back in with their person they're fornicating. I'm going to quit doing this. And it's just like they go over and they go back and they go back and they backslide. And it's like after years and years, you just kind of give up on people because you're like, well, this is just what they do. There's no real repentance. There's no real confession. There's no real humbling. There's no real seeking after God. It's just uh, emotions that they go through. It's just, well, I got in trouble and I got caught and I'm just sad and I'm just upset. But listen to me. If you really wanted to deal with God, you would confess and you would forsake. That's what the Bible says. Are you there in Proverbs? Look what it says. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covered their sins shall not prosper. We talked about that last week with David. But whoso confesses, he's not enough to confess. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when you confess, notice you have to confess and forsake. That's repentance. True repentance is when you get to the point where you say, the pleasure of this sin is not worth the consequence. I will never go down that road again. It's not worth it. It's not worth it that one night. It's not worth it that one time. It's not worth it. What it's costing me is more than I can bear. That's true repentance. When you confess and you forsake. And notice what the Bible says. Them shall have mercy. You say, why did David not die? Because he confessed and forsook. And God gave him mercy. And today we're not, we're not really repentant Christians. We preach so much against repent of your sins for salvation that we think we don't have to repent for anything. Listen to me. You and I need to repent for our sins every day. You and I need to be constantly acknowledging God and saying, God, I am a sinner. God, that is a sin. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of that and confess that to him and then forsake it. And quit going back like the dog to his vomit over and over to the same sin. David confessed and David forsook. David was cleansed. Can you get, can you get back to Psalm 51? Look at verse 6. Psalm 51 and verse 6, notice what the Bible says, Behold. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. You know what God wants from you is just truth. Here's what he doesn't want. He doesn't want a facade. He doesn't want, well, I look like I got it all put together on the exterior. I look like I got it all put together on Facebook. I look like I got it all put together. No, he wants, he desires truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden parts, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Look at verse 7. Purge me. You know what it means to purge? It's to remove the garbage, to remove the trash. He says, purge me with his lip, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Sometimes God breaks bones. Sometimes consequences have sin. Notice verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Notice what he says. Create in me a clean heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew. You see that word renew there? He doesn't say reform. See, we we all want to be reformed. The difference between reform and renew is reform is God. Will you take this old man and try to make him better? God says, I want to take the old man and make him better. He said, I want to renew. I want a new man. I want a new creature. He said, create in me a clean heart. See, here's what David was saying. David was saying, I don't want to just deal with this one sin. God, I want to deal with the man that would go down that road to even go down to that sin. He said, I want to become a new man, a a renewed man that wouldn't even go on that rooftop, that wouldn't even look at that woman, that wouldn't even make those decisions. 
See, repentance is not reformation. It's a renewal. It's a renewing. We see the rebuked sinner. And of course, we know that sin must be confronted. And we see the reaping sinner. And we know that sin has consequences. And we see the repentant sinner. We know that sin must be confessed and forsaken and dealt with. Well, let me finish the night with this thought. Go, go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'd like you to notice the restored sinner. See, sin can be conquered. You can live a life of victory. You don't have to live a life of constantly dealing with sin. Look at verse 20. And we all deal with sin, and we deal with sin. I'm talking about that besetting sin. Look at verse 20. Then David arose from the earth. This is after the, ba- the child dies and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. See, David had a restored relationship with God after the sin, after he was rebuked, after he reaped what he sowed, and after he repented of that sin, he was able to be restored. And he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Verses 21 to 23, we'll read them, but we'll deal with those next week when we talk about children and where they go when they die. But the Bible says, Then said his servant unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was yet alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise and eat bread. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I want you to understand that David not only had a restored relationship with God, but David also had a restored relationship with man or mankind or womankind in his sense. Look at verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her, and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. Don't miss this. And the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Can you make your way back to Psalm 51? See, aren't you thankful that God forgives sin? Aren't you thankful that lives can be restored? Aren't you thankful? Look, here's here's not how it goes. We sin and we're restored. You have to go through that confession. You have to go through that forsaking. And just because you repent of your sins doesn't mean there aren't consequences for those sins. Just because we repent of our sins doesn't mean that there aren't things that that will happen in our lives. And even in the life of David, there are issues and there are problems that he will have to deal with. But you know what? Even through that, he was able to be restored back to a healthy relationship with not only God, but with his wife Bathsheba. Psalm 51 and verse 11 says this. David said this. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Of course, this is before the indwelling of the Spirit. This is when the Holy Spirit would only come upon men. And, God, and David says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Notice verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now, I want you to notice, it doesn't say, he didn't say restore unto me thy salvation. He never lost his salvation. And I know dispensational Theology today, you know, will teach against this. But guess what? Even in the Old Testament, they had eternal security. David murdered, committed adultery. And as he's pleading to God, he's not saying, restore unto me thy salvation. He never lost his salvation. He's saying, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. You know what sin will do? It'll take your joy. 
I'll take your happiness and your contentment. And uphold me with thy free spirit. You don't have to turn here. But Hebrews 8.12 says this, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. See, God will forgive, and God will forget, and God allows you to move on. The Bible says in Lamentations that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The Bible says that His mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. God will restore you. God, you don't have to live your life just constantly. Well, there was that one time. There was that one chapter. There was that one episode. Remember that one time with Bathsheba. Now, look, you and I will do that to ourselves. And even men will do that to us. But God will never do that. God will put things behind him. He will forgive you. He will restore you. It doesn't mean you don't deal with consequences, but you can move on for God. That's why I often, you know, talk about Paul. How He said, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth into those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice how the chapter ends. Look at verse 26. We'll, we'll be done here in five minutes. Less than five minutes. Notice what he says. And Joab fought against Reba, the children of Ammon. He's been fighting against these people for a while now. These are the people he was fighting when David got himself into trouble. And took the royal city... And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Reba and have taken the city of waters. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it lest I take the city and it be called after my name. And David gathered all the people together and went to Reba and fought against it and took it. And he took their king's crown from off his head, the weight whereof was a talent of gold with the precious stones. And it was set on David's head and he brought forth the spoil of the city of the great abundance. And he brought forth the people that were therein and put them under saws and under harrows of iron and under axes of iron and made them pass through the brickland. And thus did he unto all the cities of children of Ammon. So David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now here's what's interesting. The way the chapter ends is David in battle winning a victory against the enemy. Now remember how this whole episode began? You're there in 2 Samuel chapter 12, but look at the beginning of chapter 11 in verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. David got himself into trouble because he wasn't in the fight. David got himself into trouble because he was idle. Because he wasn't busy. Because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. David sins against God. David is rebuked by the prophet. David reaps from his sin. David is restored, repents from that. He's restored to that. And here's how the, the, the chapter ends. He's back in the fight. He's back in the battle. He's back where he should have been to begin with. Can you go to Proverbs 24? Proverbs 24, we'll, we'll finish up right here. See, here's the question you ask. You say, well, when, when I sin and when I mess up, when I get back to what should I do? Here's what you ought to do. You ought to confess your sin. You ought to repent from those. You ought to forsake them. And you ought to uh, get restoration with God. But here's what you ought to do. You need to get back in the battle. Now, look, the best thing would be to never leave the battle. 
The best thing for David would have been to avoid Bathsheba, avoided this whole episode in his life by just being in the fight. But he didn't do that. He, didn't, he wasn't right with God. He got back to him. He made bad choices. He went down the wrong road. But here's the thing. When he repented and he got restored, he got back in the battle. You're there in Proverbs 24, look at verse 16. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. See, Pastor Man is... What do I do when I messed up? I made some bad decisions. I messed, I messed my marriage up. I messed my children up. I, 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 I'm just, it's a mess. It's, it, it's a disaster. The, the things that have happened in my life. Say, so what do I do? Here's what you do. You don't quit on God. You don't quit on your church attendance. You don't quit on your Bible reading. You don't quit on your prayer time. The dumbest thing you could do is to stay home when you're supposed to be in battle, David. You say, well, what do I do? You get back in the fight. You get back to what you're supposed to be doing. You get back to fighting the spiritual battles. Why? Because a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. That's what the Bible says. See, when David got right with God, you know what he started doing? Soul winning. Preaching. Fighting the battles of God. That's what you do. You don't sit there and complain and argue and throw yourself a pity party. Look, I know pity parties are fun. I, I, I get that. I, I, I do them often. But you know what? While we're throwing ourselves a pity party, the world's dying and going to hell. Say, well, I'm just a sinner. We're all sinners. Well, can God use me? God can restore you and use you if you would repent and forsake. Let's bow our heads and have a word of